Good morning, and uh, welcome to Restore Church. Uh, my name is Roger, and I'm the lead pastor here. Um, I just want to say, if you're new to Restore Church, man, I'd love to get the opportunity to meet you, maybe uh, go out to lunch or, or have coffee sometime. Um, and so, uh, again, I just want to say welcome. We're, today, we're wrapping up our series that we started just at the very beginning of the year uh, on the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. Last week was a little bit different when we began. I, I had, we, we've never done this before at Restore Church, but I had everyone stand for us to read Psalm 23, and it seemed really uh, liturgical, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. It seemed kind of old school. So we're going to go the complete opposite. And I'd like to read the 23rd Psalm out of my children's Bible story, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, whenever we do a children's dedication here, we give every family one of these, and man, it is so good. But uh, the, the chapter begins like this, the good shepherd. David was a shepherd, but when God looked at him, he saw a king. Sure enough, when David grew up, that's just what he became, and David was a great king. He had a heart like God's heart, full of love. And it comes out like this. God is my shepherd, and I am his little lamb. He feeds me, he guides me, he looks after me. I have everything I need. Inside my heart is very quiet, as quiet as lying still in soft green grass in a meadow by a little stream. And even though I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am. He is here with me. He keeps me safe. He rescues me. He makes me strong and brave. He's getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me, everything I ever dreamed of. He fills my heart so full of happiness, I can't hold it all inside. Wherever I go, I know that God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go with me too. I want to read that last part. We're going to focus on verses 5 and 6 today. Wherever I go... I know that God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go with me too. I, I didn't plan on reading uh, out of the children's Bible this morning. It's not what you do when you're a pastor in your office reading Greek and Hebrew. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, we should really read out of the children's Bible. But last night I was reading it to my son uh, and I was like, man, I got to read this. Uh, this weekend was a great weekend for our family um, Bowen, who's my son, and now I owe him three dollars because every time I share about them in a sermon, I owe them three dollars. Uh, it's a way to grow their college fund, and also so that you don't have to hear about my children like all the time. But most of you want to, don't you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, all right, so uh, my son is seven. He turned seven just yesterday. Uh, when we moved to Jacksonville to begin, or when we left Elizabeth City to start this church planting journey, my son was two years old. And so, man, it's wild to just look back and see the, uh, just see how he's grown. And so whenever my kids, you know, have a birthday, I'm, sen I'm as sentimental as it gets. I uh, cry whenever I get the opportunity just because it's fun and healthy. And so um, I, I can remember this. I was thinking about this just, uh, just yesterday, actually. Bowen, when he turned five, his fifth birthday, we were here in Jacksonville. We were in our house, and it was late at night. And I don't know about you parents, when you go through the routine of putting them in bed, and then they get out, putting them in bed and get out, putting them in bed and get out. Well, uh, my, Bowen doesn't do that. Bowen goes in bed, and he just stays there. But when he was five, it was his fifth birthday, and he comes out, and it's late at night. 
And Aaron and I are in the living room, and we're watching TV. And, you know, again, it's an opportunity for me to just hold my son, who is always growing and never stops eating. And so I just hold him right next to the, the couch, and we're laying there, and it's an awesome, you know, bro moment. And, and I'm just reminiscing. And then I start talking about the future. And I was like, man, we got to take advantage of these opportunities because they're not going to last much longer. I mean, one day you're going to grow up and then you're going to graduate and then you're going to move away and you're going to go to college and, 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 and you're going to find a spouse and you're going to have kids. And then, like, I'm big dreaming, right? And then you're going to be rich and then you're going to make it so that your mom and I can retire like because that's our really only shot at retiring. Anyway, that's, that's what I had in my head. And then I realized my son is crying. And I was like, you get it too, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. My wife, who's always caring, says to Bowen, Bowen, why, why are you crying? And he said, I don't want to leave. I, I don't want to move out of your house. Now that he's seven, he definitely does. But when he was five, he didn't. And he's like, ah, do, I, do I have to move out? Do I have to leave? And I'm like, yes, you do. How else am I going to retire? You do have to move out. But in that moment, he could not come to grips with starting a new life outside of, of, our, of our house. I mean, home is a comfortable place. And it's going to be really weird when he's 35 and living in, in our house still. But it would be cool if he's paying the mortgage. I don't care then. That's fine. But uh, it would be a, a little bit weird. But here's the thing is, is home. Right? Home has this sense of, uh, of security. They say that there's three things. We learn this in elementary school. There's three things that you need to survive, right? Food. Psalm 23 talks about green pastures and, and still waters. Uh, clothing. Psalm 23 talks about God's provision for us. And the last thing we need to survive is shelter and security, uh, a solid home. I mean, home is a comfortable thing. If, if you were like me and you grew up moving a lot, home can kind of be uh, an evading thing. Home might be elusive. I mean, who am I talking to about moving? <laughs> I mean, some of y'all haven't had the same address for four years in a row, right? You're moving every three years. Um, what, what happens, man, when, when the idea of home is elusive, when, when your home doesn't provide for you. I've sat across the table from, with many of you uh, after lunch talking about how your home didn't provide anything good for you as a child. I mean, what happens when your address changes like every three years and sometimes sooner than that? I was talking to someone in the lobby and he was talking about how he, he had these plans. You know, the Marine Corps kind of sets you up with these plans and, and then they changed them. And I'm like, man, it's, it's amazing because you are the first person that I'd ever heard of the Marine Corps changing your plans at the last second. It's unbelievable. Uh, what happens when home can't be trusted? When someone that you trusted has done something to you that, that's unexplainable? What, what happens when, when the idea of going home for the holidays gives you more anxiety than it does peace? What happens when home provides more pressure on you than it does anything else? I mean, David, he knew all about the idea of an elusive home. As a child, you know, every parent should see the best in their child, but his dad didn't. He was the youngest, 
And so he was looked down upon even in his own home. As a young man, he, he moves out with all this promise to go live in Saul's house. So even as a young man, he didn't know the security of home. And then once he became king, his main desire was to have a, a spiritual home. The Bible calls it the temple. And he asked God over and over and over, can I build the temple? And God said, no, it's not for you. Eventually, his son Solomon builds the temple. But, but David knew the idea that uh, he, he, could, he could sympathize and empathize with a lot of us who haven't had the security of, of a permanent address our whole life. He, he, he empathizes and sympathizes with a lot of us who, who don't know what's going to come up in the next year, the next three years, or the next four. And so the author of Psalm 23, King David... Um, in the in the story Bible, uh, it, it alludes to th- that David one day will be the great 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 grandfather of a king who would bring peace. And I was reading to my son uh, yesterday. This was an awesome moment. I, I pray that God will show me this scene when I get to heaven. Uh, I said, "Do you know who that is?" And he just looks at me. I, I don't know. And I said, "It's Jesus." And he goes, oh, "Jesus and David, they're like." connected? And I was like, I've never loved you more than I do right now. But this, this guy, David, who writes the 23rd Psalm, he, he gets it. And he writes these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's a man who, who doesn't really know the security of home. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. If you go back and listen to our podcast, Corey did a great job of covering the life of David. And it almost doesn't make sense that he would write this. He, he refreshes or, or reanimates my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Here we go, verse 5 and 6. They're, they're on the screens. We're going we're gonna to wrap up our series. We're going to study these passages today or these verses today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup, it overflows. Surely, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Before we wrap up, I just want to say, I hope that this study of Psalm 23 has either shed a new light or has brought a reminder to you about the hope that we have in a good, good shepherd. I mean, week one, we talked about how the Lord is our shepherd, and wherever the shepherd goes is where the sheep will follow. I mean, that makes sense, right? And we, we learned that wherever the shepherd is, that's where the green pastures are. And, and where, wherever the shepherd leads us, that's where the quiet waters are. So in a sense, God is our green pastures, and, and God is our, is, is our uh, quiet waters. The presence of God is what calms us, what reanimates our soul. Last week, we, we learned that the shepherd, he leads us on right paths, even while we're in the darkest valley. We saw this big shift from verse 3 to verse 4, from this shepherd that is talked about to a shepherd that is talked to. Remember, it was about he, and then it becomes you. Um, and we see that the shepherd is with us in our darkest valley. He's not waiting for us to get through it. He's not standing back watching us go alone. He's not hovering over and punishing us. That a shepherd is with us in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. 
And so far, we have provision because the shepherd's with us. We have comfort because the shepherd's with us. But one commentator, as I was reading this week, he suggests that the biggest shift of Psalm 23 is not in the language from verse 3 to verse 4, but it's the biggest shift in the image from verse 4 to verse 5. Hold on with me. Look, Do you notice what happens? If you look at verse 5, which, which we have on the screen, if you look at verse 5, what happens? The shepherd isn't just in the valley now. Remember verse 4. Uh, you will lead me in the valley of the shadow of death. The shepherd isn't just in the valley anymore. What's the shepherd doing for us? He's preparing a table in the presence of our enemies. The biggest shift for the shepherd is, is not, he's not just a shepherd, but the shepherd has now become our friend. Now, the preparing of the table, this isn't like some Nick Offerman television show where they're doing woodworking and building a table. This is a friend who's inviting you over for a meal. Now, we love to host. Uh, We love to have people over. And you know, if you are a host or life group leader, that there's some preparation that comes with inviting people over to your home, especially for a meal. And verse 4 shows us that that God... um, uh, verse 4 shows us that inside of our biggest threat, the, the, remember last week we talked about the Salmouet, inside of our biggest, deepest, darkest valley, God is there. But verse 5 shows us that he's led us through the valley and that victory awaits us in the presence of God. So not, all, uh, not only are we celebrating, but we're celebrating with the shepherd, the leader, the God who was with us through it, and now the one who's providing it. So that we've seen provision for a shepherd that is with us. We've seen comfort because the shepherd's with us. But now, as his sheep and as Christ followers, we're seeing the victory because the shepherd is with us. Is it weird that he starts talking about oils? It would have been weird six years ago, but because of all of you and your Facebook messages and your chains, oils are now a thing. (laughs) Uh, You get a... Facebook message from a friend in middle school. Hey, how's it going? Just leave your oils alone. Don't try. We're not doing this right. Um, There are three main reasons. These are important, I think. There are three main reasons that a shepherd would have used oil. I learned these from Max Licato this week, uh, that he would have used oil for his sheep. The the first one is to repel insects. Uh, The second one is to prevent conflict. And the third one is to heal wounds. If you're new to northeastern North Carolina, especially to to Jacksonville, I want to tell you, welcome, first of all. The second thing is Jacksonville, North Carolina is the greatest city in the world because we make it that way. And if anybody else tells you anything different, they're lying. They just don't know. Jacksonville is the greatest city in the world. Why didn't anybody say amen? I, I don't get it. Thank you. But if you're going to find any fault in Jacksonville, North Carolina, it has to be the bird-sized mosquitoes. And I don't know how, but last week I got bit like all up and down my leg and mosquitoes, and it's January, (laughs) y'all. Fly swatters don't work. You need like baseball bats and tennis rackets in the summertime. So if you're new to Jacksonville, Eastern North Carolina, uh, Eastern North Carolina, I'm not making this up. You will see. Remember this sermon. Um, But did you know that bugs could kill sheep? 
Yeah, it doesn't seem right, but, but they can. Uh, the, there's a particular bug in the ancient east that would fly into the sheep's nose. Now, remember last week we talked about just how sheep cannot provide, defend, or do anything on their own. A dog could, like, scratch his nose, but a sheep cannot. And so what a sheep would do is if the bug is in their nose, and, and some bugs would even lay eggs in their nostrils, the sheep would just go bang their head against the wall. And sometimes they would do it over and over and over until they would severely hurt themselves. And, and, and sometimes they would, uh, you know, they, they would die. And so the shepherd would put oil on, in this particular season, would put oil on the outside of the sheep's nose in order to keep the bugs out. You, you ever seen a male sheep? We call them rams. You know, all you Tar Heel fans, those things don't make sense. But that you, your mascot would be a battering ram, but whatever. Tiger would kill that in a second. Uh, wow and amen sound a whole lot alike. Uh, a ram. Rams compete. They're competitors. Doesn't matter how big or how small they are, they're competitors. And they will fight over anything. They'll fight over food. They'll fight over territory. They'll fight over a mate. And so they will just smash their, their horns together. And so to avoid conflict, remember bugs and conflict, a shepherd would put oil on their, uh, their ram's horns. So they couldn't hook, so they couldn't do as much damage, and they will glance off each other. Uh, a shepherd will use oil for wounds, bugs, conflict, and wounds. I mean, sheep get hurt. They're stupid. They will run straight into a thicket bush and come out with all kinds of wounds. And so in order to prevent infection, the shepherd will use uh, oil. Hey, all that might make no sense to you. Why, why would we spend time in our sermon talking about them? But, man, I think they're all true for all of us. Don't we allow the anno little annoyances of our life, of work, to come home and prevent us from sleeping the little annoyances of, of people to get under our skin uh, and they affect our relationships. Don't we let the little annoyances or, or the tiny little bugs get into our life and affect our integrity? Don't we allow our conflicts with one another to hurt? And sometimes we want them to hurt deep. We go to battle with each other with, with words that batter or, or attitudes that crush and not realizing it, but we're hurting each other and we're hurting ourselves. And we're letting these little wounds turn into, today's wounds turn into tomorrow's infections. And what we don't realize, and, and I, I haven't really put them into words like this before. We have a God, a shepherd, who has anointing oil. Oil that will prevent the bugs and the conflict and and the infections, but how? And instead of focusing, how, how, how do we get this you know, anointing oil? Instead of focusing on the bugs, the battles, and the bruises, we need to focus on what David, where David takes us, and that's to the blessings. Did you see all those bees? Didn't I just sound like a real preacher there? Let me do this again. Instead of focusing on the bugs, the battles, and the bruises, we need to focus on the blessings. There you go. Um, just in case you didn't think I could, I can. The cup. This is important. Instead of focusing on, on all of those things, the bruise, the battles, and the bugs, we need to focus on the blessings which come from the cup. So there's this oil and now the cup. 
You ever been to a dinner party that you just didn't want to leave? No? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll invite you over. I'll show you a good time. Uh, I never want to leave any party ever. I'm an extrovert. If you ever come to my house for anything, I will follow you to the car and talk your ear off. Sometimes while you're driving away. I mean, it's that bad. Um, You ever been to a party where you just couldn't get out fast enough? You're texting someone like, hey, call me. Pretend there's an emergency. I got to get out of here. But don't lie because the Lord's watching, listening. Um, Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a party like that, but this overflowing cup... In the ancient East, hosts of a party, they would use your cup to represent whether you were welcome to stay or not. If it was full, if they kept filling your cup, they would want you to stay. If they stopped filling your cup, they would, not, they would want you to leave. You want to talk about passive-aggressive. I can tell you the last four restaurants I've been, they did not want me to stay. They just wouldn't fill my cup up, you know. You got to go. If your cup is empty... We don't want you here. Like, stop drinking our wine. You got to go. But the opposite is true, that if your cup stays full, it meant that you were welcome to stay as long as possible. If you keep with this Bible study with me, it will make sense all in the end. If your cup is full, it meant that you belonged and you were welcome to stay. Being at the dinner, this table made by the shepherd, it means that he's not only our shepherd and our leader, but he's our friend. And where's your cup? I mean, it, in this text, it tells us that the cup is overflowing. It's not just full. It's overflowing, and it doesn't stop filling. It just keeps filling up. Let me remind you what this means, that this invitation to this sinner-made saint dinner party, let me remind you what it means that you not only have a seat at the table, let me remind you what it means that your cup is full and that you are welcome to stay forever. It means that you are free from all condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. That you are delivered from the oppression of of religion and law, Romans chapter 7, verse 6. It it means that you are now near to God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It means that you are delivered from the power of evil, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It means that you are justified, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It means that you have access to God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. And it means that you will never, ever, ever be abandoned. Because you have a seat at this table. And I, I think about this all the time. I'll be in a, in a meeting or, or I'll be uh, talking to, like, be with another group of church planters or something like that. And I think to myself, man, I, I don't belong at this table. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're just sitting around people and you're like, why am I here? I, do, I don't belong with this group of people, man. As humbling as it is to be able to sit at God's table and say, I don't belong here. That is exactly why you do belong here. I mean, this morning you found the perfect church to be unqualified. We are all unqualified. No one in and of themselves are qualified. But yet we still have an invitation to come to this perfect seat. And it's not just a quick visit. It's not appetizers and you're leaving. It is a full feast in which your cup does not stop flowing. Now, you may come from a church background that says there are certain things that disqualify you. You maybe have been told things about God or about church or maybe even about our church that says you do not belong. And they're all lies. 
Look, God says you belong. And the fact that you don't belong is why you belong. And that's why we started a church for the rest of us. Look, verse 6, man, this is when it starts to get good. It says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the, la- the house of the Lord forever. Uh, what's your first reaction when you, um, when you read verse 6? Here's, here's where your eyes should turn to. I, I want to show you a couple of words that are important to us as we look at verse 6. And the first one is surely. All my office fans, you'll say, don't call me Shirley. But that's the first word. Surely, it's a guarantee. It is definite. There's not a hypothetical, there's not a condition here for a sheep that is following the shepherd, for a Christ follower that is following Jesus. There is a definite surely here. But what is it that's guaranteed? What What is it that is definite it is goodness and mercy. So if you're, if you're highlighting, underlining, or anything, uh, surely is the first one. The second one, I want you to circle. I know it seems maybe insignificant and small, but the word and. Goodness and mercy. It's not or. Now, this might seem insignificant, but it's not. It's, it's and. It's not or. Because if it's or... Goodness or mercy, that means we get one but, but not the other. We can have goodness, but that means that forgiveness isn't in the cards for us. And y'all, I need forgiveness. Which means that you don't have a seat at the table. You don't have a seat at God's table if there's not any forgiveness. On the other hand, you can have mercy, but you can never have goodness. Which means I can be forgiven and have a seat at the table, but the whole time I'm there, I'm filled with guilt and shame, and both of those can go to hell. (laughs) But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that surely goodness and mercy. I have a couple other translations I'd like to read for you. The New Living Translation is a great translation for you to read from on your own. If you have the, the uh, Version app or the Restore Church app, we have the Bible on there. And you, and you can search different translations. The New Living Translation says verse 6 like this. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. How about the message? The message says like this, your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Uh, The children's Bible says it like this, Um, wherever I go, I know that God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go with me too. What's the action verb here? Are you into this study? I'm really into this. Maybe it's because I wrote it, but I'm really into this. so, So you got this, right? Like, surely, goodness and mercy. Do what? What's the action that they're doing? They're following. They follow me. They chase after me. They they pursue me. Um they're pursuing you. And this morning, you, you, you may be in here thinking that goodness and mercy are not descriptors of your life. 
This morning, you may be in here running from judgment in your past. You may be in here running from a spouse or, or, or some, some negative thoughts you have about yourself. But what does David tell us follows us? See, if we allow God's anointing oil to protect us and, and heal us and, and guide us and not everything else, then you will know that goodness and mercy are what are pursuing you, not judgment and condemnation. And if you carefully read this, David tells us that goodness and mercy will stop following us when we stop becoming good enough. You see that? Like, when we stop going to church, goodness and mercy will stop. But if you come to church every week and have perfect attendance, you don't have to worry about it. You didn't know we kept attendance, did you? We do. We don't. (laughs) As long as you read your Bible every day, goodness and mercy will follow you. But as soon as you stop, God's kind of done with you. Goodness and mercy will follow you until you do that thing again. Because once you do that thing again, the one you promised him you would stop doing, he's kind of done with you. What does, what does David tell us? And if anyone's going to know it, it's David. Goodness, surely, definitely, always, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. On your best day, when you look the most like God... When, like, Billy Graham should follow you around for a while. Like, on those days, goodness and mercy are following you. And on your worst day, when you want to hide, when you don't want anyone to see the kind of life you lived that day, on your worst day, goodness and mercy follow you all the days of my life. And how does David end this passage? The most promising words of all scripture. I think he could, we could summarize all of the Bible with just this last phrase. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, I can't tell you how proud I am of my son. <clears throat> He's smart. He gets that from his mom. He's good looking also from his mom. Man, he's patient. <clears throat> he's kind. We went to the zoo uh, yesterday to celebrate, and um, they have, uh, he'd gotten some coins, right, for his birthday. I mean, it's just a little change from McDonald's. And yeah, we ate McDonald's, I know, but uh, goodness and mercy are still following me. And we, uh, he had he just, I think it was like 17 cents, okay? And we go to the zoo, and, and their donkey or camel, their camel had something with their jaw, uh, and so they were paying for it. Camel surgery. I also hear that happens in the wild, but they were definitely doing it at the zoo too. And he asked, "What's this bowl?" And, and they said, "It's for, uh, it's for Leo's surgery." And I was like, "Let's get out of here." And my son turns around and goes and puts all his change back in this bowl. Yeah, I know. No, you can't have him. He uh, he loves Jesus. Um, he loves the church. And he, he loves people. And I'm going to tell you this morning about one of the times my heart broke for my son. God flipped our lives upside down in 2015 and said, hey, I want you to go plant a church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, and so we left a lot. 
We left the comfortability of our life, and we had it good. We left the security of our family. They were right there. We left our best friends. Uh, they're still in Elizabeth City. I left two great jobs that I loved every day. We had a network. We had security. We, we had our home. I mean, we had it all that we needed, right? And then God's like, and that's exactly why I need you to go with me. Man, I don't know if you've joined us in this 21-day fast, but the one thing I've learned more than anything is we don't need anything more than we need God. And so uh, we leave. We left. Man, that's such a tough day. I can still think about it. And uh, our, our van uh, drove away from uh, Elizabeth City, and we didn't quite have a place to live yet. Our house wasn't available yet. And so uh, we went to a church planting thing in Tennessee for four days, and then we went and lived with my grandma in Cincinnati for 22 more days. Now, for a two-year-old, a two-year-old, he just doesn't get it. And he kept asking this question, when are we going home? Oh, Dad, can we go home? I just want to go home. And I didn't know what to tell my son. Because the home we just left is not the home we're going to go back to. And the home where we are right now is, is our van and our, my grandparents' house. And, uh, and, and I, I don't know, how, how do you break it to a two-year-old that when we go home, the people that you knew aren't there. And how we break it to him that when we go home, the, the stuff that you had, it, it might not be there. And every time, it was like a dagger because I felt like I was ripping my family away from everything I had known home. You know, sin does that. It, it, it rips us away from what we know to be home. Pe people can do that to you. They, they can say words about you or to you that, that can rip you away from the identity of being one of God's sheep. And, and the idea of home is so far away. Or maybe it's your own home that, that tears your identity apart from being one of Christ's sheep. It was one of the most wise things, I think, that I've ever heard. I was getting frustrated with every time this little boy asked me, when are we going home? Because I didn't have an answer. And my wife turns around to our rear-facing uh, car seat because we're good parents and says um, home baby is wherever mommy and daddy are <laughs> home is wherever mommy and daddy are can I I want to tell you the greatest theme of Psalm 23 is that the Lord is with us in the pastures in the valleys and one day we will be with God look home is where God is Home is where the Father is, which is right where you are right now. If you're in a green pasture, guess who got you there? If you're in a valley, guess who's leading you through it? And if you're sitting at a table, guess who said it? It's God. Man, I, I'm so in love with Psalm 23, probably more than I have ever been in my life. And when I finish reading Psalm 23, and as we close the book on this series, it is time for us to start looking forward to the day, right? Looking forward to that one day that we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But look, don't make it some far off, mystical, one, thing, one day thing. Look, God is with you in whatever season you are in. He's with you right now. And so that means we get to dwell in the house of the Lord 
right now and forever. And God, I thank you. I thank you for being a, a shepherd. I thank you for being a father who identifies with us in pain. I thank you that you comfort us with your presence. Lord, I, I thank you today that you prepare a table before us when it's good and, and in the presence of our enemies. Father, we wait. As scripture says, all of creation cries out with, with these birth pains that we'll be healed one day and sit in your presence. And God, with anticipation and with with, with hurt, with excitement, we can't wait. But God, let us not forget, if Psalm 23 tells us anything, it is that you are with us and you comfort us. And so today, God, we will stand firm and say that we will dwell in your house now, today, right now, and forever. Help me not for, to forget that it's goodness and mercy that follow. And it's not conditional, it's always. God, thank you for being a God of always and not sometimes. And it's with these words and, and with this excitement and with this passion and with your Holy Spirit that we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.